Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world, with the most candid interviews. We did it, we did it together, and uh, it's just so exciting for me to just be a part of this with them, with all the 11 other players. It's truly an experience that I will cherish forever. Taking you beyond the ropes. Whatever you think is possible for you, or, or even what's not possible, you know, beyond your wildest dreams, go for it. You know, just go for it and think big and believe in yourself and don't let anyone tell you that you can't do anything. Unforgettable stories. He's hit some putts with it. So he gets his phone out and he just takes a picture of the grip and down the putter and doesn't say anything and he just pings it to Tiger. And of course, Tiger pinged him right back like, what in the hell are you doing with my putter? Do not touch that putter. <laughs> a bridge to the past. Years and years from now, Mr. Palmer, what do you want the legacy of Arnold Palmer to be? Well, uh, I suppose it's just that I have made a contribution to the game to help make it a little better. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. Welcome to the program, folks, one and all from the United States and from around the world. Delighted to have your company because this is another special week in the world of golf and certainly on the PGA Tour. It is the Arnold Palmer Invitational Week. Here in Orlando, the next couple of days, next three days, in fact, they're expecting record-breaking temperatures. Very high 80s today, and they're expecting 90 or more over the two days that follow. Then there's a front coming through, and it's going to drop it down by 10 or 15 degrees. It didn't look like there was a significant chance for weather. Of course, you never know with that when you get temperatures kind of brewing everything up that high. Maybe on Thursday, I think, they're talking about the potential of some rain, but we'll see how it it all plays out. Really excited about everything that's going on. I'm excited about what I'm doing here today. I've got a few equipment hits to do. Put it one up on social media. If you follow me on social media, at Matt Adams, F-O-L, on Twitter, uh, or I also put it on Instagram, there's a feature that we shot of Ricky Fowler's wedge, the 60-degree wedge, and what he's doing with the bounce on the sole of the wedge in the Cobra Tour truck. So it kind of gives you a, a cool little look and perspective of how you match up, say, philosophy of looking what you're trying to do with a particular piece of your equipment and how that manifests itself in cold steel. So that that's up there if you want to check it out, at Matt Adams. F-O-L. One of the things that excites me about the Arnold Palmer Invitational, especially this week and especially today's show, because not only do we have someone on the show coming up that has won this event multiple times, thank you very much, but we're going to finish the show with the interview that we did with Mr. Palmer. You guys remember this. It was shortly before he passed. We believe it was the last full-length, sit-down, unstructured interview that he did of his life. And it was fascinating. He spoke about Bobby Jones. He spoke about Walter Hagen. He spoke about his, call it odd, relationship with Ben Hogan. He spoke, of course, about Jack Nicholas and Gary Player and more. Talked about what it was like for his family, about his dad. Just a really cool interview with Arnold Palmer. And even listening to it, you're going to see and understand why or be reminded of, I suspect, why he was such a special person. It's also posted in a video form because we, we recorded it as well on the Fairways of Life YouTube channel, so you can check that out as well. But we're starting today's show with, you know, there's so much talk about young players nowadays and how well they're doing, and we thought it would be fun to introduce you to a young player that's absolutely on the ascent. Hank Lebiota is joining us on the program. He was a number four 
ranked junior player globally back in the day. He played for FSU. He was the ACC Player of the Year his senior year. His rookie PGA Tour season was last year. Went back through the Corn Ferry Tour Finals to earn his card back again for this year. Three top 25s, a top 10. Tied for third already this year at the Bermuda Championship. And interestingly enough, a sponsor's invite into this week's Arnold Palmer Invitational. How would you like to have that on the resume for the rest of your life? You got a sponsor's invite into the Kings Tournament. Hank, welcome to the program. Pleasure to have you on. Hey, Matt. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. How excited are you for the week that lies ahead? Very. And there's uh, there's no really great way to describe the feeling I have coming into the week. Uh, I grew up here in Orlando. I grew up in Winter Springs. And I, with many of my friends, probably came to this event every year, almost every oh. year, through elementary, middle, high school. Um, and to be on the other side of the ropes this year is just, it's surreal. It's really, really neat. Do you feel like you kind of know the golf course then because you've seen it for all those years and I suspect you've played it a bunch of times in different stages of your career? No, I actually never played the course until. No, no, I never, Wow. uh, for, for whatever reason, the, uh, it wasn't, wasn't due to, you know, didn't get on or couldn't find anyone to get on. It just never, never happened. It's kind of, kind of unusual where I've played all around Orlando growing up, uh, but never, never Bay Hill until this past year. Uh, But I don't want to say I know the golf course. I think it's, uh, I did a good job of kind of coming into it with a a fresh opinion, a fresh look. Uh, Because many times if you play a golf course, um, you know, every day of your life. Think uh, I know Webb Simpson has brought this up, where he's a member at Quail Hollow. He said it almost doesn't do him any good that he knows the course and he's a member there so much and plays it so much. Pardon, because it plays completely different <laughs> during the tournament than the other eleven months out of the year. Um, so I I understand the holes. I know what the holes do, but without getting I don't want to say like scar tissue or you know like a mental idea of how each shot's going to land, each shot's going to play. Um, I'm still going into it like a normal event is for me where I see it three days for three days before the, uh, before Thursday when we tee it up and then not again for another year. Now, how much of a, as you're describing, you're trying to go into a normal event, how much of a normal event will it really be? Because this is home, friends, family, et cetera. (laughs) It won't be. And I'm not going to bother trying to uh, convince myself that it is a normal event. But what I can do is I can go through my process. I can go through my um, my routine as regularly as possible to uh, prep myself the way I know I need to be prepped in order to compete come Thursday. Now, weren't you a big baseball player in high school? Yes. Yes, I was. What position was did first... you play in? I was a catcher. I was a catcher. Uh, it was my first love. And when I decided to quit playing baseball after my freshman year of high school, my dad actually told me that it was a mistake and that I was better at baseball than golf. <laughs> so it was very wow. comforting as I started, um, kind of went to this uh, sports specialization as a 10th grader when I committed to play at Florida State. It was <laughs> a little alarming, but um, didn't let it hang on me too much and got about my business. You know what, though, Hank, in fairness, it's also a measure of just how good you were at both sports that a comment like that would be made, too. So why did you choose golf then over baseball? 
Uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed golf more than I did baseball. Um, there are things in baseball in any team sport that you'll never have in golf, no matter how hard you try. Um, you'll never have that that bonding experience that you do with a team. You'll never have the uh, kind of the the coach interaction that you do with a team sport compared to how our coaches work with us now in golf. Um, I miss that a lot. Um, and the real reason why I, I decided to kind of give that up and pursue this, you know, the solitary sport, this individual sport was my commitment to Florida state, um, committed at the end of December in December. Or so my sophomore year of high school, and I knew playing another season or another two seasons of baseball when in reality there was a there was an end date to it. There wasn't there wasn't gonna be any continuation past my sophomore or my junior year playing baseball. I knew it wasn't gonna help me. So I um I made the decision just to stick to um trying to make myself better at golf. And as a as a catcher too, maybe you, you did your knees a favor. I don't know how strong your knees are, but I know a lot of <laughs> buddies of mine that were catchers, their knees are killing them now. Yeah, they still they still crack when I go down to read putts, but uh, no pain, thankfully, at least at this point in my career. Now, tell me about uh, the, the Seminoles, where where you grew up. I mean, Gators and Seminoles are are held in lofty positions until you choose one side or the other. Then the other one plummets in in regard. But how did you choose that uh, Florida State would be the school for you? Um, I was fortunate enough. My uh, my mom grew up in Tallahassee. And my grandmother and grandfather lived there during uh, my entire childhood. So we would spend holidays. We'd have summer vacations, um, many trips up to Tallahassee to see my grandparents. And when I was eight years old, my uh, my uncle was in town with us while we were up there. And he took me to the uh, baseball stadium, actually, Dick Hauser Stadium on campus at Florida State. And Lifted me up over the over the fence on the the first baseline. I pretended like I hit a home run. Ran around the bases, oh. touched all four. Um, went to football games there growing up, and it was um, I don't want to say it was forced upon me, but it was very easy for me to fall in line to being a Seminole fan growing up. Uh, the only professional sports team we have here in Orlando was the Magic. I like basketball, but I never really played it too too much so i wasn't highly invested in any you know big professional sports team and they were what i latched on to they were who i rooted for whether it be football games basketball games college world series um i just fell in love with the uh, the university and the programs hank lee biota is our guest he's playing in the arnold palmer invitational this week playing on the PGA Tour. Hank, did you, in your heart and mind, once you made this commitment that this is the direction you're going to go, did you know that you were destined for the PGA Tour? Was there doubt there, or did you always have this image that, no, I'm going to make it, it's not a question? No, there was doubt. Um, I don't think there would be uh, fair for me to say there wasn't doubt, but it was. Uh, it's always a dream. And I knew that if I wanted to achieve my dreams, I had a lot of a lot of steps to take. I had a lot of kind of goals I needed to meet. I needed to um, take care of business. I needed to take care of business, what was in front of me and kind of, you know, everyone talks about going through a route. Oh, make sure you go one shot at a time. You know, give your best mm-hmm. effort for this current shot and then deal with what comes after that. And that's how the process is. I mean, this is a, I was very fortunate to rapidly get to the PGA Tour. I was 20, 24 years old when I got my PGA Tour card. I always mm-hmm. spent uh, two years, 
two years playing developmental tours, two years and a couple months playing uh, Latin tour, the Canadian tour, the web.com at the time, now Corn Ferry tour, uh, before I was able to reset dream, reset goal. Um, and so it is, uh, it's a process that took quite a bit of time. And I knew that, like I said, I had steps to take. I had uh, goals I needed to meet. And I was extremely fortunate that I was able to accomplish all those goals and meet meet those expectations that I had set for myself in order to uh, get to this position. Hank, when you define it as a process that you went through uh, to be where you are now on the PGA Tour, mm-hmm. looking back on it, would you trade any of it? Would you change any of it? Or was every part of it important to learn to go to the next step? I wouldn't trade any minute of it. You are exactly where you need to be. And I had to remind myself that many, many times. So I was playing on various tours or struggling and going through some things. And I fully believe that there is a plan out there. And if you trust it and you believe it and you stick to it, good things will come to you. What is your plan? Just to take every day, take on every day with the best of my ability, uh, to go about it humbly with humility um, and to treat others well. And I feel like if I do that and treat myself well, I'll get to where I want to be. I'll become a PGA Tour winner. I'll be uh, have a very, very long career out here, hopefully be a major champion, play on Ryder Cups, compete, you know, compete at the highest level all around the world and be able to provide for my family that ways that I never imagined I could have. And that's, that's ultimately what I, I hope the plan is. I'm sure you've had a lot of pinch-me moments, but there was there one in particular you can think of when you were perhaps paired along somebody that was a childhood hero or something like that where you're kind of like, can you believe this? <laughs> yes. I had um, in the third round of Zurich this past season, I was partnered up with uh, my friend Curtis Luck. Uh, we had played really well in the first two days, and uh, we were paired with Sergio Garcia and Tommy Fleetwood. And I remember... Or whatever, I mean, you have these memories that pop up that are just clear as day from childhood, from tournaments that I had played. We had a rain delay at a local course here in Orlando at North Shore, and I had to be 10 years old. My mom was caddying for me, and uh, we were hanging out in the clubhouse at North Shore waiting, and there was this big poster of Sergio, because he was, uh, uh, I guess he had been partnered with Michelob Ultra back then. And there was this big big picture of Sergio holding the six pack of beer saying how, you know, this would be the best, you know, the best beer. This is what you should drink on the golf course. I was like, man, Sergio is right here in front of me. That's so cool. And then flash forward 15 years and I'm playing in the same group as him. I'm talking to him about his family. I'm I'm learning more about his, his life, how he practices, how he works, getting to know him as a person. It was just an extremely surreal moment, a very, very cool moment for me. Is incredibly cool. Do you, by any chance, drink Michelob Ultra? I do not. No, I, uh, I had to ask you. journalistically, I, uh, I had asked. My current question. health, my current health situation, I try not to drink too much alcohol. And what and what is going on? What what are you? Are, what's going on with your current health situation? So, in 2012, end of 2012, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is an inflammatory bowel disease where. Um, I will struggle with it for the rest of my life. I uh, take medicine. I give myself a shot every other week, and I have been for the last seven years now, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little over seven years. Uh, thankfully, I am, I am not in a flare-up. I am currently healthy. But 
it is something that, like I said, I'll have for the rest of my life. And uh, in order to be able to compete on the PGA Tour and kind of compete at the highest level, I need to take uh, some extra steps to make sure my body is uh, fully functioning, ready to go, and uh, just kind of in, in good shape, really. From from that standpoint of making sure your body is fully functioning and ready to go versus the other side where you call the flare-up, with the shots that you're taking, with the lifestyle choices that you have made, what is, and I'm not even sure if this can be defined, I'm just curious from, from a, mm-hmm. a disease standpoint, from a Crohn's disease standpoint, the flare-up, can you keep it at bay from what you're doing or is there the risk of a flare-up regardless? There will always be a risk of a flare-up. You know, I, as much as we would like to control our environments, control every little situation, you can't always do it. So a lot of what um, kind of dictates whether I uh, am in a flare-up or am I, if I'm doing well is uh, a lot has to do with sleep patterns, a lot has to do with how I'm eating, but a majority of it is stress-related. So if I can control my stress levels, I can control the um, – that environment as well as I can. Now it won't yeah. be perfect. And I will never be able to control every single aspect of my life, but I can put myself in the best case for success in the best situation for success. So by doing that, I go to the gym regularly. I always stretch. I do a post round stretch. Um, try uh, definitely monitor my diet. I do my best to try to get at least eight hours of sleep a night. And when I'm traveling week to week, I'm playing five, six, seven weeks in a row, it's extremely important for me to try to maximize my uh, potential success and to avoid to avoid as many situations that could potentially lead to a flare-up down the road. Because when that happens, I'm, I'm, I'm not in a good spot. I won't really be able to do much. I'll be uh, in a lot of pain, losing quite a bit of weight, and then the, uh, the recovery time from the flare-up is significant. It'll be about a month or so. So it's no, uh, wow. it's no fun. It's not something that you don't really want to have to go through, but it's something that I live with. It's something that is potential, you know, potentially going to affect my career at some point. What's so remarkable about this uh, revelation, uh, Hank uh, Libiotas, our, our guest, is that you're talking about something that's influenced by lifestyle decisions. It's influenced by the amount of rest and sleep that you get. It's absolutely impacted by stress. And then I'm thinking to myself, this is a guy that's traveled around the world to play the game, and he's playing on the PGA Tour where all of those things are served almost shot by shot. It's, a, it's an amazing balance and incredible path that you found yourself on. Yeah. It's it's uh I don't want to say it's one of a kind, but it's it's different. It's definitely different. And I'm uh I'm extremely fortunate that I'm able to compete at the highest level. I'm able to play on the PGA Tour and you know live out my dreams. And uh, I I personally feel like I was given a great opportunity when I was diagnosed with uh, Crohn's disease. It was uh, an opportunity to show others who potentially are living with indiv- uh excuse me, invisible diseases or other uh, internal bowel diseases that uh, didn't think that they would have a life outside of the disease, as if the uh, disease would almost kind of keep them in a box and make them, you know, live the way that the disease dictates. And I'm fortunate enough to prove and to show with my platform that that's not the case. You can go out and if you do the right things, you uh, take care of your body the way you should and 
in my opinion, you, you surround yourself with really smart and good people, you'll be able to live the life that you want. Aside from being incredibly inspirational with what you just said and, and the life's path that you're demonstrating to us, Hank Lebiota, have you, I take it that because of this platform, as you put it, that you're on, that you're able to help? Is there a foundation? Is Are there fundraisers? Are there things yeah. that you can do to help those impacted? Mm-hmm. Of course. So this past year in November, we had two separate events. Uh, we had the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation Gala that was actually hosted at the Bay Hill Bay Hill Country Club. Um, and then later on in December, we had the Hankley Biota, the inaugural Hankley Biota Golf Challenge that was at the Lake Nona Drive Shack. And between the two events, we raised over $250,000 for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, uh, the Central Florida and Tampa chapters. Uh, and it was awesome. We uh, were able to give back a ton of money to uh, to this foundation to uh, help patients who are struggling with internal bowel disease with Crohn's and colitis and other uh, invisible diseases uh, and give them a you know a better platform give them a voice that maybe they didn't have before and uh, we're extremely awesome. proud of that and we're looking forward to uh, hopefully you know crushing that number of uh, donations that were given this year but um, we're very trying to be humble about it and trying to be uh, respectful and know that, you know, that is a significant amount of money, uh, especially for a yeah. first year event. And we're hoping, we're hoping to be there next year. Like I said, we're hoping to be able to crush that number and surpass that number. Uh, but we'll be excited with any amount of money that we're able to give back to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Awesome, man. Very, very well done. Is there anything that we can do to help you right now? Is there a place where our listeners can go to? Yeah, the Crohn's and the, if you just go in your Google search, uh, if wherever you are in the country, there's chapters all around. You go to, uh, just Google search the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. And, uh, if nothing else, just read up a little bit about how they, uh, how they help support different, uh, different patients and the programs that they have to kind of get them, get them back on their feet a little bit from the, uh, from the hospital beds and kind of out to the real world and do their best to be functioning and, uh, you know, living out the life that they want to live and not letting their uh, particular disease kind of control what they do in their life. Uh, and that's awesome. The more, uh, the more it's talked about, the more sure people know about it. I think the, uh, it's a great first step into uh, kind of bringing awareness to the disease. Awesome. Very, very well done. I'm, I've got two final questions for you. Then we're going to let you go. I'm holding you longer than I normally would because this is fascinating, <laughs> Hank. So I appreciate you you get being so kind uh, and generous with your time as well. Uh, the, the, the first question I want to ask you about is you as a brand, and then I'm going to ask you about your sponsors. So to the point of a brand, I love asking young players on tour. Clearly, you are the CEO of your own brand. You're going to represent something to the world. While you've told us so much of what it probably already is, for the, for the sake of posterity, I'm going to ask you anyway. What is the brand? Uh, the brand is, uh, well, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's ever-evolving because you do, you do want to have a, a main goal, a main focus. Uh, and thankfully, this opportunity was presented to me back in 2012 where the, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And it's, uh, I have a very unique platform. To where I could bring awareness to the disease and to uh, other invisible diseases out there, um, and I want to stand for those that that are struggling. I want to stand for those who can't quite uh, 
live their life the way that they want at this point, but uh, have dreams and hopes that they can and to prove to them that it is possible. And while we're on the way, we're going to do it with humility. We're going to do it with hard work and we're going to uh, do it with a plan. Awesome. That's the reason why people want to align themselves with this young man. Who are your sponsors right now, if I may? So currently I am uh, sponsored by Titleist. Titleist uh, wear FootJoy gloves, FootJoy shoes. Uh, I have a full 14 club bag full of Titleist clubs. Uh, use a Titleist bag. Uh, Credibility in, uh, International is a uh, forensic accounting firm that actually has a partnership with me and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. So for every birdie I make on the PGA Tour, they'll donate $25. And for every eagle I make, they'll donate $50 to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Uh, last oh. year we got um, – uh, I was able to match their donation. So just between credibility and uh, myself and my wife, we were able to donate over $20,000 to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Uh, and this year we're off and running already. We made a ton of birdies here in the fall. Uh, and then lastly, Inspirato. Inspirato is a, um, a boutique travel firm, I think is the best way to describe it, offering uh, luxury homes and hotel rooms for um, you know certain rates and certain deals that you can't quite find anywhere else. Perfect. What about uh, the clothing that you're wearing? I wear Peter Millar. Peter Millar clothing pr- uh, provides me with everything I wear. and I'm excited. I'll have the... Uh, the Arnold Palmer umbrella on display this week for uh, the API invitation, uh, API uh, event and really excited. And I'm, uh, it's going to be fun. That is awesome. My man, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you the very best with everything that you're doing, not only this week, but your whole path, everything you're doing to bring awareness to Crohn's disease and to raise money for the same. It's easy to be a fan, and I'm sure you made quite a few more this week. Go out, play well, have fun, and just good luck with everything you're doing. I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on. Pleasure, Hank. Really nice to to catch up with you. Folks, another legendary name, Ben Hogan. BenHoganGolf.com. If you log on to BenHoganGolf.com, you can see their full line of product. What part of your bag are you trying to complete? Is it your driver? Check. Is it your irons? Check. Wedges? Putters? Hybrids? Whatever you decide is right for your game. When you go on to BenHoganGolf.com, you're going to see that the relationship is direct between you and them. It's one, two, one. Just like the tour trucks I'll be hanging out in today. Players come in, talk directly to the people that will be working on their clubs. You will be too. They don't go through retail shops. You're going to save a 40%, 50% markup as a result, and you're going to get all of the latest technology. And it's going to have the iconic Ben Hogan signature etched right into the metal. BenHoganGolf.com. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a special guest that has won this event, the Arnold Palmer Invitational multiple times not kidding and before we finish up today on this very special tuesday you will hear the voice of the king our sit-down interview with arnold palmer that has gotten tens and tens of thousands of hits all over the world on the media side the digital media side that you can see it on youtube right now but you're going to hear it wherever you are in the comfort of wherever you are we do hope and enjoy the words of the king that lies in store all of it after these words Tour Edge continues their meteoric rise in 2020. Over 90 different tour pros have put Tour Edge into their bag, including staffers Scott McCarron, Tom Lehman, Tim Petrovic, and Duffy Waldorf. 
Torridge makes clubs for every player type, and they set themselves apart with their unprecedented 48-hour delivery on custom-fit orders and by offering a lifetime warranty and by building their clubs in the good old U.S. of A. Visit TourEdge.com to learn more about their new clubs for 2020. TourEdge, pound for pound, nothing comes close. Come to where history meets luxury at the family-friendly French Lick Springs Hotel, where there's something for everyone. From kids' fest to shopping, bowling, golf, and other outdoor activities. Or at the West Baden Springs Hotel, you can wrap yourself in old world elegance. Visit our luxurious spa. Indulge in an afternoon tea, a historic tour, and multiple sophisticated dining options. Then, finish your day with a cozy carriage ride before turning in for sweet dreams. Only this isn't a dream. Visit FrenchLick.com to plan your vacation today. It's no secret that FootJoy Flex has been one of the best-selling shoes in the game for the last few years. You can literally wear these things anywhere. Well, they now have a version that's completely redesigned and fully waterproof. It's called the Flex XP. You can wear these to and from work, hit a bucket of balls at the range, play 18 of them, wear them into the clubhouse, or out to dinner. Many have tried this type of versatile shoe in the past, but leave it to FootJoy to elevate the category. Now you can start flexing with the all-new Flex XP. Learn more about Flex XP at FootJoy. If you listen to the wind, you can hear it. That's Ireland calling you home. Home to the greatest Lynx golf courses in the world, defined by soaring dunes, undulating fairways, venerable bunkers, and whimsical green complexes. From Royal Portrush in Northern Ireland, site to the 2019 Open Championship, to Ballyliffin, La Hinch, and Ballybunion, numbering among the Lynx golf masterpieces awaiting your golfing sojourn. Come home to Ireland and enjoy the most incredible golf experience of your life. Get started at Ireland.com. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to BoyneGolf.com and take in all the splendor that is a golf experience unlike any other. TheGolfTravelGroup.com is a luxury golf tour operator that specializes in custom travel itineraries to Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, Iceland, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and more. Guaranteed advanced tee times, incredible accommodations, airport meet and greet services, private guided tours and private drivers, all in luxury vehicles, and they have a staff that's been doing it forever. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. Welcome back to the program, folks, on this Tuesday, Arnold Palmer Invitational Week. We've got a treat for you coming up in just a couple of moments, a special guest who has tasted victory multiple times. Thank you very much. At Bay Hill, the house that Arnold Palmer built. Uh, Bridgestone wants you to try their new golf ball because they're telling us that they have reinvented the golf ball. More power, more control, more feel, and more spin. Featuring the all-new reactive urethane cover. Until now, you had to choose between distance or spin or spin or distance. Not anymore with Bridgestone's new revolutionary reactive cover technology. Log on to Bridgestone Golf today to find out more about this golf ball and which of their offerings is perfect for your game. One of the great things about the game of golf, and certainly when you're talking about the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour champions, are the great players that have come through. And I think it's important for all of us at times, why not, if we love this game, to be reminded 
of how great some of these players are. Can you imagine eight times winning on the PGA Tour? 26 total professional wins. And amongst those eight wins on the PGA Tour were two right here this week at Bay Hill where we're celebrating the memory of Arnold Palmer with the Arnold Palmer Invitational. 13 PGA Tour champions victories, including four majors amongst the senior circuits. Twice he won the Charles Schwab Cup in 2007 and in 2009. He played in 49 major championships and had four top five finishes, including that runner-up in 1994 at the U.S. Open when he lost in a playoff to Ernie Els. Remember, Colin Montgomery was in that one as well. Absolutely a delight to welcome to the program, Lauren Roberts. How are you, Lauren? I'm doing great, man. Thank you. Delighted to have you on the program, as I said, to catch up about all of this stuff that we were talking about. You know, eight wins on the PGA Tour is an incredible career. There's many really big-name players out on tour right now that would very quickly trade places with you if they had the opportunity with that many wins. When you reflect on the PGA Tour portion of the career that you had, what kind of memories come back to you? Well, you know, I just had looked at it because I came about it from a little bit of a different way. I was actually a club pro, and uh, that's the road I was going down. And, and the old guy that used to kind of mentor me and teach me a little bit back then uh, said, you know, you got to try to get on tour. Uh, if you're going to teach the game, you need to get on tour and hang around the best players and see what they do. And, you know, if you're learning, learning how to share about golf. And, and so, uh, I, you know, I went to tour, got on tour, and bingo, you know. I mean, uh, 25 years on the regular tour, and now, what, 15 out here on the Champions Tour. So uh, it took a little bit of a different turn for me from where I was really going to go. But it, doggone it, it just turned out super. Did you think when when you were a club professional and, I mean, with all the times that you went to Q school and everything else, the collective weight of the effort it took to get to the highest tour, what kept the fire burning to do that versus just going, you know what, I'm going to take this other path, this path where I'm working on the club side full time? Well, you know, I got out there, and this goes back to a question that I got when I finally won Bay Hill for the first time in 94. You know, I've been on the tour Gosh, and, well, I played in 81, and then I was out in 82, and played, came back in 83. But from 83 to 94, uh, to finally get that first win, I got a question from a guy in the, in the media, and it said, you know, gee whiz, Lauren, you've been on, on tour for, you know, 12 years, and, you know, it took you that long to get a win. You know, why didn't you just quit? I just, I'll never forget this question I got answered in the media afterwards. I said, well, I guess you don't understand about being passionate about something. That, that was my response yeah. to him, you know, and I, it's just like, I loved it. I mean, it, it wasn't exactly like I was going broke out there playing. I was having some success and winning some good money and stuff. I just hadn't busted through for the win yet, you know, and, and, uh, and so and that's what I kind of told him. And I, and I just thought, you know, I just love this game of golf. I love the, the honesty about the game, and I, I don't know. I just, I just, uh, I just love the game of golf, and I was going to be in golf no matter what happened—a player, a club pro, or whatever. So, did it surprise you at any point, though, that when you were out on tour and when you started to play, just inspired golf? I mean, I'm looking at—I just grabbed two years right in in the career yeah. of, of Lauren Thompson, right? Defined by majors, or in '94, you had a tie for fifth at a Masters, tied for second at the U.S. Open. 
tied for ninth at the PGA Championship. In the year 2000, Lauren Roberts was tied for third in the players, tied for eighth in the U.S. Open, 17th at the Open. Did at any point, I mean, I know it, at some point it had to become, this is who I am and I'm going to charge, but, but early on, did it surprise you once you got out there that you were able to compete and you were able eventually to win at the clip that you did? Uh, no, I just really spent a lot of time working hard at it, but I enjoyed the work. That's kind of, you know, if you really enjoy something, it just makes it so much easier to work at it. And, um, you know, I, I just, uh, and I, I go back to that, that 94 U.S. Open. Obviously, I won Bay Hill earlier that year, finally breakthrough. Yeah. And then to be in the playoff at, at the U.S. Open later that year and, and uh, and at Oakmont in Pennsylvania, which is near from where Arnie was, and, and he was there at the tournament. He actually, I think that was the last time he played the Open. I remember giving he gave a uh, uh, an interview in the media room, and it's the only time I'd ever seen he actually broke down. You know about yeah, you know, and it was just. Uh, in fact, I think Golf Channel may have had a show on about it. You know, yeah, he, he had the towel and he like buried his face yeah. in the towel and all the rest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me to be there, I don't know. I just, I just kind of like to draw those parallels, those connections, the way things happen. You know, I just think it's kind of unique. That playoff that you were in, can can how much do you have clarity of all that took place that week and getting into that playoff, and then Monty gets eliminated and you continue on more from multiple mm-hmm. holes against Ernie Els, and what were your yeah. thoughts? What were your emotions? What was swirling within? Well, you know, obviously, I, I wanted to win. I, I go back to the seventy-second hole. You know, I I, I was going to miss the cut Friday afternoon. I mean, I'm I'm going up the ninth hole, uh, and which we played as I think they played it as a par. They played it as a par four. Now we played it as a par five, and I'm going up that hole, and I'm six over par. I'm thinking, you know, gosh, I gotta, I'm going to miss the cut here. I'm very careful. And I ended up birdie nine, and then I think I shot three under on the backside, and I ended up making the cut. And then go out and shoot, you know, sixty four the next day and get right back in the in the tournament. And uh, but I will say that's the one thing about my career that that, that that's really the only thing that really kind of eats at me a little bit, you know, not winning the, not winning the playoff because you know when you have a major trophy on the regular tour on your mantle that that that's a different league. It really is, you know, and, uh, but you know, I, I always thought, well, I used it as uh, a motivator. Maybe that's why, cause, uh, you know, I played so good really into my forties, you know, I played pretty good all the way through to my forties. Uh, and won. I think I won six times uh, when I was 40 or older. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, what they, I, I use that as a motivator. I really do. Why? Why did you say it kind of eats at you though? And, and I, I and I know the obvious that yeah. because you would like to have won. I get that, but well, yeah, I mean you put up such a spirited fight, and it could have gone either way. But but oh, yeah. there has to be a level of pride with how you how you competed and carried yourself, even to be on that stage. Well, I know it. I mean, maybe eats at is not eats at me is not the right term, but it's just like doggone it. I just you know because I had I had like a six foot putt on the last hole for par. Uh, and I missed it, and I ended up going to the playoff. Of course, Ernie broke bogey 18 also coming to the house. We all three went to a playoff. But, you know, that's that, that's one of those things, you know. That, uh, and, But I try to always use it as a positive. You know, I always did try to use it yeah. as a positive. You know, it's interesting because 
you're, you've always been such a straight driver of the golf ball, and right. everybody knows your prowess on the greens. Did yeah. you think that the U.S. Open would be the major championship if you were to win one would be the one? Because you, you've had good finishes at the Masters as well. Yeah, no, I thought the U.S. Open would be would be the one because, you know, the way they uh, used to set up open golf courses, you know, they used to we used to have deep rough and everything, and and it used to be about the guy who could you know make par uh, most times from shots that were in trouble. Now that was what the U.S. Open used to be about. It's just really trying to make par. I mean, it's gone back and forth their course setups over the years since '94, but. Um, you know, I, I, that's what I thought that might've been my, my best chance with the, with the putter, uh, because you're just not going to hit every green in the U S open, you know, that's just the way they're set up. So amazing. Absolutely amazing stuff for, I got a question for you. Who gave you the nickname boss of the moss? Well, that happened, it happened in 94th U S open. I I mean, I, I just shot 64 (laughs) there on Saturday and I'm, sitting in the locker room talking to some media guys are all standing around talking about it. And, and an old buddy of mine, uh, played the tour for years with us. Uh, David Ogren just yeah. happened to walk by and he was always, he was always good with a quip for some reason. He should have been, he should have been a golf writer or something. I know he's always good with a quip. Uh, but he just walked by and just kind of yelled it out. Oh, Hey boss of the boss. And somebody put it in an article being it stuck, which is good because that's, <laughs> you 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 can get you you can get some bad nicknames out there if you're not careful too, you know. <laughs> David, I I see him on social media. He's he's still teaching, so he's still yeah. hanging around the game and oh, and yeah. all the rest. Every now and then, he'll send yeah. a little you know message out through social media and so forth. Yeah, just yeah. tremendous. So I, I here's here's the thing that I always wonder about when it comes to people who are great putty, putters of the golf ball. How much? is putting about conviction and technique versus how much of putting is a natural gift? Well, I think anybody can learn to putt better. It's just how you go about doing it. I was, I was very lucky that when I was a club pro, uh, the, the putting green, I was an assistant at San Luis Country Club in San Luis Obispo where I grew up for four and a half years five years really before I got on tour and the putting green was literally 20 yards outside the pro shop door and we didn't have a big membership. So after about two 30 in the afternoon, there wasn't a whole lot of people out there. So I just go outside and listen for the phone and just go putt all afternoon and guys would come by and we have putting contests all afternoon, stuff like that. So I really did spend a lot of practice time doing it to come up with the method that I think fits me. Now there's, different ways to putt, you know, teachers will teach their method or whatever, but I, I believe that there's different ways to putt depending on how you swing it, how you, how you're swinging, how you play the game. You know, someone who has a very up tempo golf swing can't have a long, slow putting stroke. Those two don't fit, you know, and those are some of the things that I feel strongly about when it comes to putting, uh, there are different ways to do it. You just have to figure out what works best for you and the way you visualize it best. And, and is that how you would define your method? Just a, a long, smooth yeah. putting stroke. But I mean, there has to be something to your philosophy in terms of how you hunt down a break and how you find your, your, your pace, et cetera. And I'm also interested about your peace of mind when you putt. Yeah. Well, here, here's the deal. Uh, 
I'm all about tempo. I, I think tempo is overlooked by a lot of people, and 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 also the the speed of the putt. You can't if you can't control the speed of your ball, you can't read the putt. I mean, obviously, if the putt's got any kind of break to it, the speed determines how much it's going to break. So if you can't control the speed, you're not going to be able to pick the right line. So I think the best things for people to practice are controlling the speed. Uh, and I go by a great line that Crenshaw and I talked about. Crenshaw gave me this great line about putting. It says, you know, the ball doesn't have to go dead in the middle of the hole. It can go in the middle. It can come in the left side. It can go in the right side. It can be just like you're late for church on Sunday. You can come in the back door, you know. Uh, you, you, you just get it around the hole. You have the right speed. You no, know, the ball can fall in that hole if you just get it around the hole. And that's where your speed control comes from. Incredible stuff. Lauren Roberts is our guest. Yes, the boss of the moss. And that's the kind of wisdom that when you listen to it, you can pick up some amazing stuff. He won this event, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, as it's now called, twice. In fact, they were in consecutive years. When you won, when you broke through, and then you win at the house of Arnold Palmer, what was that experience like for you? What was it? What was the experience like when you finally had time to spend one on one with the king? Well, let me tell you. Uh, for I couldn't think of a better place for me to finally get my first win. To have Arnold hand me the trophy on the 18th green, uh, that that just there isn't anything bigger in my life that has that has happened to me than that in the game of golf is to have him hand me the trophy. Because basically, we have professional golf at this level now, largely, I think, and there were other guys involved in this, but I mean, he really set the tempo for the uptick in the game of golf professionally. And I, and I, and I, now I'm on the Champions Tour, been on the Champions Tour for 15 years. He's the one that really got this thing started out here. And I just am really, really thankful for that. And, uh, it was just so nice to have him hand me the trophy, uh, and then to do it again the next year. And I remember when we walk on the 18th green in '95, the second year, and he says, "Well, here we are again. We're back at it again." You know, and I, I just—I don't know. Those kind of things mean mean so much to me. You know, that because he he was just such a figure of the game. Yeah, and it's neat to think that you have that kind of history with the great Arnold Palmer. He took oh gosh, such yeah. pride in this tournament, yeah. and twice he handed you that trophy, as you said. Did you get much time with him, just you you guys without everybody else around? Well, you know, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was so busy there doing media stuff and all that kind of stuff. But I tell you what, I really had some great time around him. I played in a senior skins game with him. He and I were partners. In a, in a kind of uh, in, in, a, in an alternate shot format in a senior skins game over in Hawaii, I think two thousand seven, two thousand eight, right in there. And we were actually partners, and uh, that was great to go out and be able to play nine holes. And I got a great story about that. We we play around, we come around, and the biggest skin of the day is still available. On the, Everybody ties with pars on the 18th hole, so we go to a playoff. Well, we go to the 17th hole, which was a long par three, and I happened to hit a really good shot in there. It's about a three-iron shot for me. It's played a pretty long hole, and I hit it in there about 12 feet. 
and Arnold gets it and knocks the putt in to get the last skin, which was the biggest skin, and he is fist pumping like Arnold Palmer's doing. I just absolutely, I got goosebumps. I mean, it was just awesome to see him pumping, knocking that putt in in front of everybody. Oh, I love it. It's fantastic. Lauren Roberts, our guest, playing still on the PGA Tour champions. Uh, Lauren, what what do you have for sponsors right now? Let's spread some love to the people that help you. Oh, gosh. Straight Down Clothing, good friend of mine, owns that company. He's really uh, coming out. I, know, I think Golf Channel runs some of their ads on there. And, yep. And, uh, yep, we do. They're doing good. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm, you know, I've played Tylus forever. Uh, you know, worn foot joys forever. I I've won foot foot joys since I won the national assistance championship back in seventy eight, I think, or seventy nine. Well, that, that <laughs> was the old leather professionals. That, Those things you know, so. they were heavy. I know, and I'm playing tricks on irons. Uh, I've been playing that for some time now. I got a Callaway driver, you know. So I, I got a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's awesome stuff. Are you having fun? Are you happy? Is life good? Come on, I tell everybody I haven't had a real job in 40 years. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Dude, it's great to catch up with you. So happy okay. that things are going well for you yeah. and, and you had a chance yeah. to share some great memories with all of yeah. us, and we thank you for it. Yeah, and Bay, and Bay Hill, awesome tournament this week. Awesome. So Fantastic. Thanks so much, Lauren. Good luck all, all the way. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Awesome having Lauren on the show. You know, Tour Edge is making a huge impact with players in the PGA Tour champions. Two more top tens for Tour Edge this week. One player playing the new Exotics EXS220 driver finished ninth at the Kohler Guard Classic in Tucson, Arizona to rank fifth in driving accuracy with the extreme MOI driver. MOI stands for Moment of Inertia. It's stability at the moment of impact. The player hit 90% of fairways for the week with 38 out of 42 fairways hit. Hello. He also averaged 286 yards in distance off the tee, a 12.5-yard increase over his driving distance average from the prior season. Tour Edge staffer Tim Petrovic also played the EXS 220 driver to get great results in Arizona. He finished fifth in driving distance at, ready for it, 313 yards. That's a whopping 22 and a half yards longer than his 2019 driving average. In total, 27 Tour Edge clubs were in play this week at the Colagard Classic. A two-time major winner finished ninth this week playing a blended tour edge iron set three exotic cbx ironwoods as long irons and the six iron through pitching wedge in the exotic cbx forged iron set with eight total utility irons in play at the event tour edge was the number one utility iron model in play on the pga tour champions for the seventh time in the last eight pga tour champions events tour edge has seen a 50 percent increase in clubs in play over the first four events of last year thanks to the amazing reaction to the new EXS220 clubs. If you want to check them out, go to touredge.com. When you think about the demographic of golf and the average age of golf, it hits right in the sweet spot of the PGA Tour champions. That's why Tour Edge is doing so well. They can do the same for you. More of the Fairways of Life show coming up after this, and when we come back, we're going to visit again with an absolute legend. 
Take your game to the max this spring with the all-new Tour X Golf Shoe from FootJoy. Fully loaded inside and out, Tour X delivers max stability, max control, and max comfort. So you can launch it past your buddies. The Tour X wraps your foot in coziness with an ortho light impressions fit bed and a foam collar around the heel, ensuring max in-shoe comfort and support. Tour proven by players like Kevin Kister and Rafael Cabrera-Bayo. Experience max performance for yourself with the all-new Tour X. Shop now at FootJoy.com. What's your bucket list destination? Where have you always wanted to go? What's the number one thing that holds people back from doing that? It's fear of logistics. I don't know where to stay. I don't know how to get tea times. I don't know where to go. I don't know who should take me there. Well, I'll tell you who knows the answer to all those questions. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. That's why the Fairways of Life show has aligned ourselves with these experts. And is there some place you want to go, like the Open or a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup? They can take care of that as well. What is your golf bucket list? Where do you want to go? Do it with TheGolfTravelGroup.com. BenHoganGolf.com is where you can go to see the beautiful product that's being produced right now, bearing the name of the legend. You know, when he founded the original company in 1953, Ben Hogan said he did it, quote, to design and manufacture the best golf clubs in the world, end quote, and that is exactly what their mantra is today, only it's going directly to you, not through retail stores, so they're saving that 40%, 50% retail markup. You can get the best, and you can get it directly from their master craftsmen. Log on to BenHoganGolf.com now. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the all-new Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try the new Tour B. The Tour Ball. Reinvented. It's time for you to discover Streamsong, a new kind of resort that takes the everyday ordinary to the absolutely extraordinary. Three internationally acclaimed link-style courses by golf architecture's iconic foursome of Gil Hans, Tom Dope, Bill Core, and Ben Crenshaw that provide a golf experience distinguished as unlike any you've ever had before, with undulating fairways navigating through wild grasses and deep water ponds and lakes, towering sand dunes to find the unexpected experience of playing golf at Streamsong, the ultimate legendary golf destination set apart by the unexpected. Streamsongresort.com Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show on this Tuesday. Always a pleasure to have your company. Busy day at Bay Hill today, and it's going to be warm in the coming days. Temperatures around 90 coming up on tomorrow and on Thursday. High 80s today here, and then a cold front comes through, and it it dips down, but not bad. Mid-70s, really nice weather. Uh, Dom, do we have uh, the feature groups coming out? Are they out yet? Hold on one second, Dom. I, I, I do want to hear it. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want to mind everybody before I forget. Ireland.com. Log on there. If you go to Ireland.com slash golf now, you can see where the deals are for golfing in Ireland. I know that may sound funny to you because that's if you want to plan it 
yourself if if you want because logistics aren't hard to do but i don't incidentally i hear i am saying that and i have to i have to full disclosure admit to you that i use the golf travel group and i use swing golf ireland and i use north and west coast links so that when we go over there and i take the listeners groups over everything is planned which i just that's part of the appeal to me is that you just climb on that beautiful luxury coach and they take you to where you're going and you can have a few pops and not worry about a darn thing i love doing that but if you want to do it on your own you can check it out go to ireland.com and you can see how and why it's so special and why the Lynx golf courses there are the best in the world dominic yes sir as mentioned the feature groups are available on tuesday as they always are but the tee times are not out yet but we will have those for you tomorrow and the feature groups are as followed and it is a blockbuster week matt and that means it is a blockbuster field and that means these are some blockbuster pairings. The first pairing, Sanjay M, kind of in good form. Mark Leishman and Ricky Fowler. Justin Rose, Rory McIlroy, Francesco Molinari. I told you. Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed. Oh, that's an interesting group. Adam Scott, Jason Day, and Brooks Kepka. What a week we got. It's going to be fun. Uh, obviously, we'll have the tea times for you tomorrow, and things will be kicking off Thursday. Yeah, that sounds great. That absolutely sounds great. Now, if you want to hear something that sounds great, I've got it for you right now. We believe that this was the last full interview that was completely unstructured. When the king, Arnold Palmer, sat down with us, no one had asked us in advance, well, what are you going to talk to him about? That wasn't the type guy that he was. You asked him a question, he answered it. And when he spoke to you, because it was the nature of his personality, surely you would see his eyes sparkle in a way that was so uniquely Arnold Palmer. He had the ability to connect. He was also a human bridge to the great eras of the game of golf. He understood it. He respected it. And what you're about to hear is the full interview with Arnold Palmer. Now, if you want to see it, as it happened on video, go on to the Fairways of Life YouTube page. You can get there through our website, fairwaysoflife.com as well. And you can actually see the man in terms of how he was reacting. But right now, for those of you, maybe you're commuting to work or wherever you listen to and it's around the world, here is the legendary Hall of Fame member, Arnold Palmer, who meant so much to the game. Champion, architect, ambassador, Mentor, road model, icon, legend, the king. There's a lot of names that describe Arnold Palmer. His accomplishments, however, probably describe it most emphatically. Fifth all-time on tour and wins. A four-time Masters champion in 1958, 1960, 1962, and 1964. The U.S. Open champion in 1960. Winner of the Open Championship in 1961 and 1962. In 1974, he went into the World Golf Hall of Fame. Overall, he has more than 90 professional victories. Leading money winner, four times. PGA Player of the Year, two times. Varden Trophy winner, four times. The Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year in 1960. The Bob Jones Award recipient, 1971. Old Tom Morris Award, 1983. The PGA Tour Lifetime Achievement Award in 1988, the Payne Stewart Award in 2000, the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2004, 
the Congressional Gold Medal in 2009. Arnold Palmer played on six Ryder Cup teams, last playing captain, in fact, for the United States, and was captain again in 1975. Mr. Palmer, it's nice to have your company, sir. Thank you. How are you feeling? Pretty good. I'm starting to uh, get back to normal. I feel fine. Thank you. you. The shoulder, you dislocated it in December, correct? Yes. What happened? I fell. I was on my way to speak at the father-son and slipped on a carpet and did a 360 and landed on my shoulder. Oh. And it's been a long, hard battle to try to get it better. Yeah, the healing has to take some time. Did you know right away the severity of the injury? Could you tell when you went down? Well, I knew it wasn't good when I hit the floor, and uh, it scared me. Uh, I've got to say that, and uh, I've been working hard to get it back. I feel like I'm about ready to go, but <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be a couple of days yet. Is it uh, a foregone conclusion that the thing you miss the most is the ability to swing a golf club right now? Well, you know, I always fiddle with clubs, and I hit the swing all the time, and I haven't been able to do that uh, since the accident. When, when will <coughs> they let you start to putt or at least uh, chip a little bit? Well, I hit some shots, uh, various shots uh, on the range, uh, wedges and that sort of thing, but that's about as far as I've gone. And uh, My therapist says... Uh, Another day or two will not hurt, just hold off. I have to tell you, Mr. Palmer, that in January of this year, my oldest son, uh, he blew his ACL out playing soccer, and he was operated on at the Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital. And in as much as, you know, having a child go through any type of surgery is, is a disconcerting experience, the experience at the hospital that bears your name was as pleasant as it possibly could be. And I wonder, when you list all those, when you hear all those accomplishments that you have to your credit in your life, where does that hospital place for you personally? Well, it's right at the top of the list. It's uh, the hospital, what they do for the kids uh, and ladies is wonderful. Uh, The doctors, the aides, uh, the, the workers that are given their time to take care of the hospital, it's pretty fantastic. I have to say, respectfully, at 85 years young, even with the the injury and the healing, you look good, you look vibrant, you still have that spark in your eye. Are you enjoying your work still? Does it still motivate you every day? Oh, yes. I I still work every day, and I still... Uh, get a kick out of it and uh, sometimes I get tired and want to go to sleep and do Uh, but that's the difference Uh, and and I miss playing golf Uh, that's something that uh, I've never done in my life uh, not played yeah so I'm I'm looking forward to getting back to hitting the ball to this point of your work during the Arnold Palmer Invitational presented by MasterCard, you discussed with the assembled media that you're building a golf course in Scotland, and it's your first one in Scotland. Could you talk to us about that project? Well, it's one that uh, I'm looking forward to. It <laughs> is a new project for me. Uh, it's just north of St. Andrews, and uh, it's one that uh, we're going to really put a lot of time into, and 
and hopefully make it a really great golf course. One of the stories that I just heard recently was, and I guess it was prompted by, you know, Rory had a club throw and Doral. And someone told a story about when you were a kid, you were in a junior tournament, I believe, right? And you threw a club. Could you tell us that story and what happened? Well, I, I was playing in a junior tournament. I was 16, and uh, I was playing pretty good. And I was playing the mayor of Pittsburgh's son, uh, Waddell, and uh, I missed a, a short putt on the uh, 17th hole, and I turned and let the putter fly, and over a row of trees, and, and my father was there, and, and as it turned out, I hold the putt on the last hole to win the match, and I got in the car to go home with my family, and it was dead silent. There was not a sound, and I expected something at least nice going or something. The next thing I heard was the chewing out, and and if you ever do that again, you'll never play golf as long as you live in my house. And that was my father talking, and he was very serious. Did you ever throw a club again? Well, maybe a little pitch, but not <laughs> real bad. I, 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 that taught me a lesson. When you think about your dad and the lessons that he taught you over the years, could you boil it down to one philosophy or one piece of advice? Well, I learned everything I know from my father, and, uh, and I can't ever uh, thank him enough for what he did for me in my youth. I've heard you speak about your dad in saying that he concentrated on the fundamentals, the fundamentals of the game from, from grip onward. Uh, could you comment on, on that perspective from, from your dad? Well, he was a, a fundamental man. He, he was very basic. Uh, he taught me the grip, the stance, the position, uh, and all the things that I learned about the game of golf, he taught me. And I can't, as I said, I can't thank him enough because it was something that I still use uh, every day of my life. And uh, I'm very grateful for what he did. When he put your hands on the club, that grip, that famous grip, what did he say to you? He said, now, don't you ever change that, boy. And, and I knew he meant it. And I haven't. I still hold the club much to the way that he put my hands on the club. That strength in fundamentals, that giving you the belief that you can do it the way that you see it. I think back to the story, 1954, U.S. Amateur, Wilson Golf sends Gene Sarazen out to scout you. And he came back and said he lunges at the ball, he plays a hook. I don't see it developing into much. We just recounted what you developed into. Was that part of the motivation, the competitive makeup of Arnold Palmer to, at least initially, to prove to the world that you can do this? Well, that's one of the other things that my father taught me uh, in my learning stages of the game of golf. He, he gave me the basic fundamentals, and, uh, and he taught me not to talk too much about what I could do show people and he drove that home with me he said and 
and it's something that I remember very, very well. Uh, show them, don't talk about it. When you have quiet times to reflect, to sit in front of a fireplace perhaps and just relax, where does your mind go? What are the, what are the times that you look back on and reflect? Well, of course, I, I usually remember the good times we had, uh, the golfing days, the, the things that I did with my father and mother, uh, and they, they are all things that are very pleasant, things that I love, uh, whether it's skiing down the hill or ice skating or playing golf. Uh, they, were, they were all things that were very pleasant, and today I enjoy remembering them. When you go back to Augusta National, one of the things I wanted, I've been dying to ask you about is the Champions Dinner. Can you remember your first Champions Dinner? Oh, yes. Uh, and, of course, I remember most of the people that were there. And uh, uh, there wasn't a large crowd. It was very limited. And it was wonderful. Uh, 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 Sarzen was there, for sure. And Bob Jones uh, was one of my favorites, and he was there. And, uh, and it was nice to talk to him, to talk to these people, uh, because it was my first dinner. And to hear them and listen to them uh, tell stories about how some of the other golfers played, and guys like Claude Harmon, and uh, guys that were really known for what they did and how they played was was fun. Was there anyone over those years and since, was there anyone that you in particular wanted to sit next to at this Champions Dinner because you knew it would be entertaining? Well, no, but I enjoyed Kerry Middlecoff. And Byron Nelson was one of my very favorites of all time. I think that he might have been the best that I ever had uh, the opportunity to know and to talk to, and, and and he talked to me about things that he has done and he did, and those are things that I'll never forget. That is impressive. What was Bob Jones like to be around? Uh, Bob Jones was a great guy. He was one that talked uh, and didn't mind talking. I remember uh, he watched me make a putt on one of the holes that during a match and it was about a eight footer and and when I finished he he came over to me and he said Arn he says let me tell you something he says if I ever have a putt for my life I'm going to come and get you to putt it for me that just sent a chill through isn't me. it fun yeah it's fun I want to, if, if I may, I want to ask you about some historic figures in the game and, and your recollection and reaction to them. Walter Hagen. Walter Hagen was also a very close friend, and I corresponded with him. He was the first man that I talked to after I uh, won the Open, uh, and, and uh, he called me on the phone and congratulated me, and what a thrill that was. And then I got to know him. I met with him a number of times, and he said, Now, Arnie, there's a couple things he said that were very pointed. He said, When I die, he says, I want you to remember that I asked you to be a, be a pallbearer for me. And, you know, things like that that were 
uh, and he was sick at the time. And uh, of course, he thrilled me to death with his with things that he told me. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, I was a pallbearer in the Walter Hagen funeral. Wow. Dow Finsterwald. One of my best friends ever. Uh, Dow and I have been close since uh, we played, uh, well, amateur golf and then professional golf, and we traveled together all over the world. And uh, he was he, he was a very close personal friend that that I'm very proud to say we've been friends all our lives. Sam Snead. Sam Snead is a guy that. You never get real close to Sam, but he and I were buddies because we played on a lot of teams together. And, and he was a guy that uh, he never forgot anything. And, and of course, I remember that. And uh, he was—he uh, was a good guy. He was a good guy. He—he he didn't waste words too much. He said what he had on his mind and, and got on with it. I've, I've talked to you in the past about your relationship with Ben Hogan, and in my reflection on it, I would describe it as complicated. Is that fair? Well, I suppose that's fair. Uh, Hogan and I, I wouldn't ever call the relationship really close, although we were partners and we talked a lot. Uh, but we were never real close buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hogan... Uh, never called me by my name. He was always, hey you, or uh, fella, or something like that, which I objected to a little bit. How about Gary Player? Gary and I are very close. We were close all our lives. We played big three golf, and uh, we did a lot of things together, a lot of shows, a lot of uh, golf, and something that uh, I think that will last forever. Of course, I have to ask you about Jack Nicklaus. Well, Jack is a good friend. He is a personal friend, and he's a guy that uh, I can appreciate and understand very well and enjoy being with. There were a couple players that golf lost in recent months that I wanted to ask you about. One that you're directly both that you're directly tethered to the first Cal Nagel who passed away of course the which takes us back to 1960 Open Championship and I wonder if you could speak to that man for a second well Cal was the guy that kept me from winning the Open at uh, St Andrews and he played very well and and I knew him pretty well and he was a really nice man he's one of the nicest men uh, that I have had an association with in the game of golf. And uh, I, I enjoyed our relationship, the fact that we spent time together and uh, competed against each other uh, many, many times. And uh, he was a guy that I will always remember. Mr. Billy Casper, of course, passed away recently. Well, Bill Casper was a good friend also, even though we didn't spend a lot of time together. Uh, we played competitively all of our active life. And Bill was a much better player than anybody gave him credit for being. Uh, 
he played the game very well and and was a good guy. He was he he was a good guy and a good friend to me. When you look at the game today, and you've described it to me in the past that players today are very physical. To, it was the word that you used with me. If you could, through through some stroke of magic, if you could have lived and competed in a different time than that which you did, would you take that option? Would you be competing at a different time? Would I like to be competing at a different time? I'm not sure. I think I had the opportunity to play in the best time of my life. Uh, the golfers were good. Uh, the Hogan's, the Sneeds, the Sarazens, the, the uh, Nelson, uh, Middlecoffs, they were great players. And it was a thrill for me to have played against all of them. What is the next mountain to climb for Arnold Palmer? Well, I'd like to see uh, golf continue on the road that it's, it's, it's on. I hear people say golf is falling. I don't think it is. I think it's just pausing right now for a little get back to it again. And I think that we will see uh, these young people that are coming along will make a great difference in the game of golf in the years to come. Are you impressed with the young players today? I am very impressed by some of them. Yes, they're very good. If there was one thing in today's game, the golf game today, you could change, what would that one thing be? I suppose that I'd leave the game alone. I'd play, I'd try to speed it up a little bit. I think that would be uh, uh, something that we could use very much in, in the game now to get these young people to play a little quicker. Uh, And for the rest of it, I think it's very good. Years and years from now, Mr. Palmer, what do you want the legacy of Arnold Palmer to be? Well, uh, I suppose that Justin and I have made a contribution to the game to help make it a little better. You have that, sir. Thank you for your time today. Thank you.